Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. She is blessed, absolutely blessed. To be chosen by God to, to be, you know, the one who brings in the Messiah, she's blessed for sure. But she's just a normal girl. And Joseph, just a normal guy. And God used both of these two individuals to parent the Messiah. The one who created them and who knew them before they even were born or even existed. It's amazing how this works. Most people don't believe that they've been called by God or have a special God-given mission or ability. Everyone usually thinks, I'm just an ordinary man or I'm just a simple woman. Well, Mary and Joseph couldn't have been more ordinary if they tried. Here's a very young teenage girl and a young man chosen to be the earthly parents of the Messiah. Today, Pastor James reminds us how remarkable and miraculous our lives are when God uses ordinary men and women like us to shape others' lives. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Matthew chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. two accounts of the birth story in the Gospels. One is found in Matthew, the other is found in Luke, okay? Um, we're going to go to Matthew. So Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's account is really cool. Matthew's Gospel, is a, it's a phenomenal one. I don't know if you know this about the four Gospels. You might be thinking, why is there even a need for four Gospels? Well, there are four Gospels written by four different men who have different perspectives on the same stories, Okay. You might read through all the Gospels and think like, well, they're not ordered in the same order, and that's okay. There's no contradiction there at all. It's just God is brilliant in that he used different individuals who are wired differently to tell the same story from different angles, and they sometimes space things out a little bit differently, okay? Matthew's account is just, uh, it's fascinating because he's always presenting Jesus as the king right? That's his whole gospel. It's it's Jesus as the king. He starts it off in chapter one with a genealogy, which we all love, right? We love reading through genealogies, names upon names upon names. No, you probably don't. Um, Unless you're, unless you're like, my aunt's like that, right? I got a couple of aunts who are like big time into genealogy stuff. But you go through a whole list concerning Jesus's descendants, all right? And David is included within there. There's a there's some interesting names that are included in his genealogy that, you know, to be honest, we, we would be a little embarrassed if they were in our genealogies, okay? Um, if you know the history of some of these people, but there's just beautiful stories, story after story within his genealogy. And it, it goes through and it lays the foundation for the fact that he's the rightful heir to the throne of David. That's really what's going on there. And so as, as you go through that genealogy, you get to verse 18 of chapter 1. This is where we'll be. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. This is New Living Translation. So this is how he was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, which is absolutely key to the whole story, okay? That's um, in traditional conservative Christianity, that's a closed fisted issue. If anybody tells you otherwise that Mary wasn't a virgin, they got the gospel wrong. Okay? 
That's like, we don't waver on those things. That's close-fisted. He has to have been born of a virgin. I'll explain that in a little bit. But it was not just that she was a young woman, as some, how it's translated sometimes. She was an actual virgin. She had never known a man. I'll say it like that. So, before they consummated the marriage, Mary was visited by an angel, but there's also the same angel was going to visit Joseph, okay? So, She's still a virgin before she, uh, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit placed Jesus in Mary's womb. You're like, how does that work? Well, that's called a miracle. And if I could explain you, to you how that works, it wouldn't be a miracle. It wouldn't be all that impressive, especially if I could explain it to you. It would not be all that impressive, all right? This is a miracle. This is a miracle of all miracles. He couldn't have been born of a man because we know that sin is passed down through the Father. Okay? And so it's passed on through the Father. That's why he had to be born of a virgin because he was born pure, holy, sinless. And so there's Mary, young Mary, 14 probably years old, 14 or 16, somewhere within there, young young Mary. And then there's Joseph, could have been a little bit older than Mary, two kids, betrothed to get married. And an angel shows up and just kind of messes up the rest of their lives in the best way possible. Oh yeah, by the way, Mary, God's chosen you. He selected you out of all the ladies in Israel. Now there is, it would be narrowed down because of her genealogy, okay, and where she's from and all that good stuff. But he's like, out of all those ladies, you won the lottery. God has selected you to bring in the Messiah. Yeshua is his name. And so she gets visited by an angel and is told these things. And then there's Joseph, who is an honorable man. Joseph was a great guy. And Joseph deserves props. Because here he is, engaged to Mary, going to get married and she's like, oh, and I don't know how it all time-wise, how it happened, if she was told first and then she told him, or if it was simultaneous. It probably wasn't simultaneous because it was the same angel. Somebody found out first. Maybe it could have been the same night, right? I don't know how it all worked out, but there was a conversation between Joseph and Mary. And I don't know if he started, it was like, hey, um, God told me that you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And she's like, I know he told me. He's actually already in me. He's in me. Joseph was going to try to do the respectful thing. We'll see that in a second. But he was an honorable man. An honorable man. Any other guy within that culture would have been like, you're pregnant by somebody else. I'm going to broadcast it to everybody else in this city. I will drag your name through the mud because you betrayed me. They would have made it known. He didn't do that. Here's this whole scene, this, this whole setup. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement. He's going to put it off to the side quietly. Break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, so he's thinking of this, he's not, it's not necessarily his best interest, it's Mary's best interest. That whole decision was based upon what's best for Mary, not what's best for Joseph. What's best for Mary? That's, again, just an honorable man. So he's contemplating this. He's thinking about this. He's mulling this over as he's laying in his bed, and then he gets visited by a messenger of God, which is an angel. 
says that as he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, or Yeshua, technically. It's Yeshua, right? To all our Jews, Jewish friends and everything, they see Jesus and they're like, I don't understand that. But you say Yeshua, and they get that. That's his name. His name is Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So here's Joseph at night in bed, falls asleep, and an angel shows up and he's like, Joseph, whatever you think you're planning on doing, do not do it. And and this is a a brilliant way of God orchestrating things. Um, Joseph, I selected Mary, but in selecting Mary, I've also selected you. Yes, Mary was chosen. She was picked and that's beautiful, but Joseph was a part of the equation. So we don't think about that stuff though, do we? So it's not just about like, let's elevate Mary. Mary was just a normal lady, just a normal girl, a sinner, just like you and I. Why? Because she wasn't born of a virgin. She was born of a mom and a dad who came together, and she was born a sinner. And God selected Mary because she was, she was the one he wanted. But in selecting Mary, he selected Joseph as well. And isn't that, that's encouraging, right? Because the spotlight's on Mary. And probably that's how Joseph would have wanted it anyways, you know, regardless. And I think if, and possibly, I don't know how it works in heaven, really, if they're looking down on us now and seeing all this stuff, they might be a little bit embarrassed by how much we have deified individuals within the story, such as Mary, just a normal lady. She is blessed, absolutely blessed, to be chosen by God to, to be, you know, the one who brings in the Messiah She's blessed, for sure. But she's just a normal girl. And Joseph, just a normal guy. And God used both of these two individuals to parent the Messiah. The one who created them and who knew them before they even were born or even existed. It's amazing how this works. But there's Joseph. He has this dream. The angel shows up and is like, look, you're going to marry her. And then when she ha- when she gives birth to this baby boy, you're going to name him Yeshua. You're going to name him Jesus. Because why? Because he will be the savior for your people. We don't have many details of Joseph in his life. We just don't. Um, the, the assumption is that he died. Uh, well, obviously he died at some point in time before Jesus went into full-time ministry. Because he's no longer on the scene. So the, the assumption, and I think it's a right one, is that he probably had passed away. But what we, what we know from tradition and also just culturally speaking, Joseph would, would have been there training up Jesus to be a master builder. Not just a carpenter. Technically, he was a stonemason. He worked with stone. He also probably would have worked with wood as well. The Chosen, if you watch that, that series, he made little toys out of wood. And yeah, he probably did. I don't know. But he knew how to work with his hands. But you had to have somebody teach you how to do all that stuff. And that's what Joseph did. So can you imagine being in the, the shop and you're, you're teaching the creator of the world how to build stuff out of the material that he created? Amazing. How humbling would that have been? How intimidating, I think, would that have been for Joseph? He's like, all right, no, no Jesus, you're, you're not doing that right, right? He's like, wait, you're telling me? Um, 
just an amazing thing. But he was a man who stepped up to be a dad to the savior of the world, an earthly father. It wasn't his biological kid. It didn't have to be. Joseph was an honorable man, and he was going to step up. And he was going to treat Jesus just like his son. And he was going to train Jesus up just like he would have all his other sons. And so they were in the shop together. They were building things together. They were doing all this stuff. So you can just see that this is Joseph saying, you're not my son, but I'm going to treat you and love you like you are my son. I'm going to do everything that a good Jewish dad would have ever done to any one of his kids. That's Joseph. That's amazing. An honorable man chosen by God to be there for Mary. Um, so, uh, you know, this, this story plays out. Verse 22, it says, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They shall call him Emmanuel, okay, which means God is with us. And I'm going to come back to that in one second. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the, of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but they did not have relations with her. He did not have relations with her until her uh, son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus now to fill in the gaps of the story. They had to go from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. Let's see here. And it's a journey, okay? Yeah, if you've ever been pregnant, which is only to you ladies. I don't care what modern science says. Only ladies can get pregnant. Um, you're not supposed to travel when you're close to birth, okay? That's a rule. So there's Nazareth up there in the Galilee region up there, way up there. It's way, way up there. The red line, if you can see it properly, is the route that they would have, ha- they would have taken. They didn't have to take that route, but because they're good Jews, quote unquote, they would have taken this route because there's no way they would have gone through Samaria, which is a shortcut. But they don't deal with Samaritans. So they would go all the way around Samaria, cross the Jordan River up north, go down, cross the Jordan River again through New Jericho. Okay, it's not old Jericho, but that would be New Jericho, down to Jerusalem and then down to Bethlehem. All that while Mary is with child and probably not riding on the back of a donkey because that would not have been a nice thing for Joseph to have done to Mary, okay? Because I don't know if you've ever ridden horses. Um, I, that's probably not a good idea if you're pregnant, okay? I'm just saying, like, that's, we're giving birth now. That's probably what would have happened, right? Like, halfway through there, he probably built her, as a builder, he probably would have built her a nice little wagon that would have been pulled by maybe the donkey, okay? Don't know. That's speculation type stuff. But they get to go from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem because he was going to be born in Bethlehem, because that's what the word said was going to happen. But no, they live in Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Of course, the Messiah can, but he's going to be born in Bethlehem because that's what the word said was going to happen. And lo and behold, the ruler of that, of that whole little realm there wanted to do a, a census, just had this brilliant idea of like, you know what we should do? We should make everybody go back to the hometown so we can count them at this time. It's not necessary. Oh, but I feel like we should do this. And that decision, God using a ruler to make that happen, moved a little family from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem so that God would be true to his word and it would happen. 
that we also know the other prophecies out of Egypt I've called my son, because they had to get out of Bethlehem because there's this madman named Herod, who as everybody in Israel has no idea what's going on, for the most part, right? Shepherds show up the day of his birth, but as that's all going on, you have wise men from the east who are looking at stars and all this good stuff. Now, it's not just that they're astrologers and they're like counting the stars and all that. They happen to come from the east, which is actually where uh, some, some Jewish young men had lived for quite a while when they were taken from their land. Their names were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were their Babylonian names. Well, they were deported from Israel to the east and lived there. And Daniel was pretty high up within the government there. And he probably was sharing these prophecies with these wise people there in the east. If you think far or the east, if you think like China, no, that's too far. Okay. Like we're, we, we could be still talking about the continent of China, but the, the wise men from the east probably would have come from Iran. And these guys would have had exposure to this story, these prophecies, probably through Daniel. Probably through Daniel and his faithfulness to the word of God. Daniel, we know, studied prophecy because when he was a captive, he knew we're only going to be here for so long because Jeremiah said it's going to be 70 years. Daniel was a student of the word. Daniel knew Hey, when these things happen, look to the sky. Look to the sky. So there's some wise men from the east who are watching a star. So they're making their way to Jerusalem. All of Israel, they kind of know. The shepherds showed up and they did what they were supposed to do. They celebrated him. They went and told everybody about Jesus. And then probably about a year and a half later, some wise men show up. But they stop off at, at the palace and are asking Herod, like, well, where's the new king? Where's the newborn king? And Herod's oblivious to this whole thing. And he's like, well, new king, that's a threat. So the wise men go, they, they find Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And they, it says that the other gospel accounts, um, specifically Luke, uh, actually later on in Matthew chapter two, it talks about how they bowed down to Jesus and they worshiped Jesus and they gave gifts to Jesus, not to Mary, not to Joseph, not to anyone else, but to Jesus. These wise men, they celebrate Jesus. And then God tells those wise men, don't go back to Herod. Herod does some calculations of his own and he wants to go and he wants to murder all the new, all the baby boys within Bethlehem. And he murders some of them. And that fulfills a prophecy as well. There's a lot of prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus was born. And so that's when they had to flee from Bethlehem to Egypt for a little bit, wait for Herod to die, and then they could go back home. Okay, so that's how all that set up. But what's amazing about this story, just in a nutshell, is at the right time, at the right time in history, God sent his son to die on the cross for us. The timing could not have been better. And in fact, the other letters, Paul specifically wrote of this saying it was at the perfect time that Jesus showed up and was born. The perfect time, the right time. And what's cool about Matthew's gospel with this story is this. His gospel begins with Emmanuel. God is with us. And his gospel ends with Emmanuel. God is with us. 
Let me read you this verse. Here, because this is what, this is what matters. The birth of Jesus is a miracle and it's amazing. But it doesn't mean as much if the tomb is still occupied by his body. You know what I'm saying? The virgin birth is a miracle and it's amazing. The cross and the empty tomb are even more so in one sense because they validate the birth. Yes, he came. Yes, he lived. Yes, he died. And him raising again three days later proved that he was sinless, proved that he was and is the son of God. And all of that, as we celebrate the birth, well, we celebrate the birth, we worship, we don't worship baby Jesus. We don't worship Jesus stuck on the cross. We don't, we don't worship a Jesus still buried in a tomb. We, we worship a, a, an alive, living savior. And here's what this alive and living Savior has told all of us. Don't hang out at the manger. You don't even need to hang out at the cross, so to speak. I understand going to the cross and all that. Yeah, I understand that verbiage and all that. You don't even need to hang out at the tomb. Because even when his followers came to the empty tomb, he's like, no, don't hang out here. Come and see, go and tell. Same message was given to the shepherds when Jesus showed up. They came and they saw him, and then they went and told everybody about him. Matthew, the end of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Thank you, Jesus, for including that. Some of them doubted. His name was Thomas, and he's a good dude. He's in heaven. We can He can correct us or... You know, let us know, like, you need to stop calling me Downey Thomas, okay? Number one, because uh, you had doubts in your walk with Jesus too, I'm sure, right? We all wrestle with doubts. And praise God that that is, that, that the Bible doesn't try to hide that. And we're okay with wrestling with doubts as long as you don't stay with the doubt. You wrestle through it, okay? Thomas is not doubting Thomas anymore. That was only for a little bit. But some of them doubted. Verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. Here it is. I am with you always. Emmanuel. Emmanuel even to the end of the age. So he shows up, and the angel's like to Joseph, you're going to name him Emmanuel, because that's who he is. Jesus on his way, when he's going to ascend up into heaven, he's like, never forget that I am Emmanuel. I am the God who is with you. I'm the God who is with you. All these other lowercase g's, they're not with you. They're not with you. I am with you to the end of it, to the end of your story, to the end of your journey that he has you on, and ultimately to the end of his story, which is the story. He is with us. He is Emmanuel. Same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a tale as old as time. 
Everyone has heard the Christmas story, as it's been passed down from generation to generation. There have been storylines created to share different perspectives and offer insight into what it was like for all those groups involved in this miracle of love and life. As you enter into yet another Christmas season this year, we encourage you to share this story with your loved ones again, and to think about how amazing it is after all this time that the story of Jesus hasn't changed at all. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Today, Pastor James shared a special Christmas message, celebrating the birth of Jesus and our salvation. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We're so glad that you decided to join us for today's special message. The Christmas season is one of new hope and new life. If you'd like to be a part of sharing that life with the world, would you consider partnering with us financially in this coming year? To find out how, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. And as we move into the new year, we want to invite you to celebrate the life we find in Jesus together, in person. Come see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. We would love to worship God together with you. Our gatherings are simple and uncomplicated, so you're sure to find a place that you'll fit right in. Well, that's all that we have for today. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you again here next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.